Coming up, what an excellent day for... Suspense. Well, howdy folks, and welcome to Minute 30 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so, our minute begins with Chris McNeil raising that stick she grabbed in the previous minute. And it ends with her muttering, God damn it. Hmm. Okay, so now we know what that stick is for. It's one of those uh, hooky pull-down sticks uh, that you use <laughs> yeah, to... Yeah, one of those. <laughs> one of those hooky pull-down sticks, right? You, you <laughs> use to get into the upper rooms or attics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little ring on the door, and the door is literally like cut into the ceiling. So you, you reach up with the... Um, the the hooky pull down stick and uh, you hook the ring and you pull it down and uh, and this made me realize Keenan there are a lot of things that I know what they do but I don't know the names of like <laughs> a surprising amount of things like I started thinking about like household items or things you see like out on the street or like in your day to day and I'm like don't know what that's called don't know what that's called don't know what th- like am I just Stupid! Like, I, don't, I don't believe so. But how are we going to talk about this movie if we don't know the name of the stick thing? We need to know the name of the police stick down thing. How can we pretend to be experts, which we do not do. We do not pretend mm. to be experts in anything. No, no. How can we pretend to be experts on a podcast if we don't know the name of the thing? Keenan, this is a situation where Google is useless, right? You're just mm-hmm. like, what is the name of the... Oh, fuck. like i i did type that into google and this was the first thing that came up google was like you mean the thing that gets you into addicts and i was like how did you know yes (laughs) how did you know google but but also yes and what is it called which made me think of a really fun game that we can play on the air keenan Mm -hmm. it's real easy i make the questions and you do the answers okay i found a list of everyday things that most people don't know the names of and i want to quiz you (laughs) Oh, God. All right. This will be embarrassing, I think. Mm, pretty easy. Um, so you want to play? And y- you got to say yes, because I don't have a plan for if you say no. Yes. Okay, great. I'm so happy you said yes, Kenan. All right. So here's the first one. The word is aglet. A-G-L-E-T. So uh-huh. aglets are A, the plastic bit at the end of your shoelace. B, the name for the type of light bulb that goes in Christmas lights. Or C, baby ags. You know, aglets. <laughs> Well, I did happen to know this one, that an aglet is the name of the plastic thing on the end of your shoelaces. Oh, there you go. Uh, what's the name of the Christmas light that goes into a Christmas light? Oh, no, that's just I just made that up. I don't know. I, but now we need to know the answer to that. I, don't know I, would, just, I would think it would just be a Christmas light. <laughs> Do we have to think of new names for every single <laughs> light bulb? Only if you're trying to order one on, on Google. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. Very good. Excellent job, Keenan. All right. So our next one, the word is ferrule, F-E-R-R-U-L-E. So hmm. a, a ferrule is A, any ruler that measures less than 12 inches. B, a type of cooking utensil used for pasta, right? It's like a ladle with like prongs, right? Or C, the metal bit at the end of your pencil. The metal bit? Oh, and the other, oh, so like between the eraser and the pencil? Yeah, between the hmm. eraser and the wood. Jeez, I hope it's the pasta one because I would like to know what that is called. Hmm. So are you saying B? Yes, I, ho- I hope it's B. 
All right. And let's go to Father Karras now. Father Karras, is it correct? No. <laughs> oh, Father oh, Karras. Father Karras. Dimmy, Dimmy, why you do this to me, Dimmy? Why you do this to him, Dimmy? Um, <laughs> no. Um, so, actually, uh, a fair rule is the metal bit on the end of your pencil. So, what the hell is that? ladle thing with the hooks for pasta i have this no is, idea this is, this is this is maddening <laughs> i use that a lot more than a pencil i'm actually creating more questions for you <laughs> this game is frustrating so our next word is zarf so mm-hmm. z-a-r-f all right so a zarf is the proper name for a scarf made out of synthetic material that's a b it is the blade or the fin on a surfboard or C, it is the cardboard sleeve on a to-go coffee cup. Jeez, oh, well, my people invented surfing. I'm, I'm from Hawaii. I, I wonder what that fin is called. I'm going to go with B. <laughs> what do you call a surfboard fin? Yeah. All right. Let's go to Father Karras. What do you think? No. Oh. Dimmy, no. Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry, Keenan. So um, a zarf is the cardboard sleeve on a to-go coffee cup. Oh. I've never needed to name that. <laughs> right? We didn't need to know what that was. <laughs> a sleeve works just as – it's the same number of syllables. Whereas, you know, the pasta ladle or uh, the fin on the end of your surfboard, those are things we need to know what they are. Right. I imagine if your partner was in the kitchen with you and mm-hmm. you you said, hand me the pasta spoon or the mm-hmm. pasta ladle, mm-hmm. that would be confusing enough to start. Probably some some amount of people have broken up because mm. of the confusion of that, right? right. That, that a word would help. Yeah, that pasta ladle with the prongs on it has probably <laughs> broken a couple of families apart. Right. Yeah. Well, a zarf. All oh, right, a zarf. That that mm-hmm. is not helpful. Yeah, I imagine you go up to a barista. He's like, "Hey, hey, um, uh, can I have an extra zarf, please?" They're gonna look at you like, "What the f-? like?" <laughs> oh, these poor baristas have to deal with enough and now you're talking about zarfs in front yeah, of them sometimes at a restaurant i i you can ask for so, like extra sauce or something and they'll be mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. oh do you need a lot of it and you're like just a little ramekin and you mm-hmm. they'll bring you out a little ramekin of it i'm sorry it's a what a, a ramekin <laughs> that's amazing. at some restaurants you can ask the wait staff for a ramekin and they will know what that is at others they look at you like you are speaking um i don't know french because that's probably what that is <laughs> a ramekin a ramekin yeah, it's it's a it's a kitchen, um, little ceramic kitchen, tiny tiny uh, bowl. See, I was thinking a ceramic mannequin, and they just bring you this entire like person sized mannequin made of ceramics, and he's just holding the sauce in in both of his cupped hands. It's like give me another ramekin of, of this uh, uh, Catalina dressing, please. Oh my god! All right, well. All right. Okay, so uh, this is this is the last one. This is a bonus oh, one. You have a third. Oh, fair. Yes. okay, wait, wait. I thought three would be it. All right. I don't know. This is. I mean, the rule of three, right? We got all the Catholic yeah, stuff and all that. Yeah. But um, but yeah, this is a bonus. This is. I'm gonna see. See, I'm gonna play the devil, and I'm gonna tempt you. We can make this all or nothing, right? All right. Let's do so, all so far, or nothing. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. Okay. So here's the bonus one. The word is minimus, right? So M I N U M U S minimus, right? Uh, and uh, a minimus is a the term for when a Catholic priest makes a little cross just over your forehead rather than the whole like head, heart, shoulder, shoulder thing, right? So that's a minimus, right? B, the real name for the pinky finger. Or C, a derogatory term for Napoleon Bonaparte because he fancied himself a Roman emperor. And they called him Hmm. minimus. (laughs) Emperor minimus. 
I'm going to have to stay Catholic, uh, mm-hmm. considering the theme of our, our show, and go with a little cross <laughs> over here for it. And it's only when the priest performs it, I guess. Right. Yeah. So the priest would be performing like um, when he's uh, I mean, we're going to see that in um, in this movie, right? When uh, when yeah. one of the fathers like traces the cross over somebody's forehead rather than doing the like the whole, you know, father, son, Holy Ghost, like across your whole body. Yeah. Well, they do that often enough. They should have a name for it. Yeah. Well, you know, who is a priest is Father Karras. Father Karras, <laughs> is that what a minimus is? No. Oh, no. Oh, no. Father Karras, you think you're a bad priest, but you at least know that that's not a minimus. Oh. <laughs> so what, what could that be called? That, that needs a name. <laughs> that does need a name. We need a name for that, right? I'm just going to give you a little cross. Um, <laughs> uh, so actually, yeah, a minimus is the, the actual name for our pinky finger. Oh, geez. That makes yeah. sense. Well, yeah, I mean, anatomists understand that every single little piece of your body should have a name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That in some cases you'll need that. That's very helpful. Yeah. Right. So when you are at a Starbucks, right. And you're drinking and you're, you're holding on to your Zarf, right. And you have your minimus extended as you drink, right. That's not actually a dirty thing, right. It's perfectly okay (laughs) to extend your minimus in, uh, in public. (laughs) All right, good. Well, I will do that. So I got one out of four, but the last one was the devil's bargain all or nothing. So that's nothing. I blame, I blame Dimmy. (laughs) Timmy led me astray. Timmy, why'd you do this to me? Why'd you do this? No, Timmy. (laughs) Oh, all right. Well, um, now, Keenan, you might be asking why I wasted our time with this silly game instead of talking about our minute. You you might ask that. Oh, why did you waste uh, our time with the silly games of talking about our Oh, I'm so glad you asked that, Keenan. I did that in order to create an air of... An air of suspense. <laughs> no, because this is a very suspenseful scene, right? Not a lot happens in this minute, but it is filled with this air of suspense that I think is masterfully done. Um, I imagine this is one of those scenes where even the noisiest movie theater would be silent as they watch Chris ascend into the darkness of that attic, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe I'm not as good at creating a feeling of suspense as uh, Friedkin or Blatty, but I'm fascinated by how filmmakers create a feeling of suspense in films. And that was something I wanted to ask you about. I thought mm. you might know like a bit more about the history of, or, or the like evolution of suspense in films. And, and then maybe we can talk about how it's being used here in this minute. Oh, okay. So if we go all the way back, I mean, suspense has been in narrative film since the very beginning. Uh, Mm. Usually in the American mode, that was called parallel editing or parallel action, Mm. which we associate with, um, say, uh, Edwin S. Porter's The Great Train Robbery. Do you know that movie? It's a really uh, really old Western. It's about 10 minutes long. Uh, And this is the first time, well, it's always tricky when you go that far back, uh, because even though this was in the 20th century, we there weren't a lot of great record keeping of uh, the first time somebody did this, the first time somebody did that in a movie. But this is one of one of the first times, um, at least one of the first times in American film where we could say that we did cross cutting between two spheres of action. So in The Great Train Robbery, it is, um, well, a train is robbed. I don't want to spoil things for you. A train in, in The Great Train robbed. Robbery. Yeah, it's a great train robbery. Hmm. Yeah, some say the greatest. And uh, so the great train robbery is is happening, and then we cut to the station where a little girl uh, wanders in, and she finds the um, the station master tied up, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then so she's reporting to the townsfolk that the train has been robbed, and so we cut back and forth between the train and then the townsfolk as they are trying to chase the train robbers. Hmm. 
So that that cutting back and forth um, very early on leads to suspense, right? This parallel action idea. Uh, because what you can do is, uh, even though this is a movie that every single scene only has one shot in it, Mm-hmm, so that's right. that, that was the convention back then. They were like little plays, and so they're very stagey, right? So, um, so you would only have one shot. There was no close-ups intercut from master shots or anything like that. Um, but because we can cut from one sphere of action to the other sphere of action, you're naturally asking yourself the question of when will these things combine? So even though we call it parallel action or parallel editing, um, we know that they will at some point not become parallel, that they're going to intersect with each other. Right. And then one thing you can do, even if you don't yet have the conventions of using sh- different shot sizes within the scene, is to make each scene shorter, right? So as you're cutting back and forth between the people being chased and the people chasing them, uh, you can make each time we cut back a little bit shorter of a scene. So it, it ramps up the tension, again, without music, without dialogue, and even without shot choices. Oh. So we have a little bit of that um, here where we we cut to, um, you know, the outside of the attic, uh, you know, when we hear the noise and Chris is on the outside of the attic and then we cut to the door of the attic and that's a little bit of a parallel action idea. So, yeah. um, so we have sort of, you know, two things that are going to combine as Chris is going up there. Uh, so that's one option. And that makes sense for things, say Jaws, right? The opening of Jaws, we're underneath the water. And then we're also cutting a top to see Chrissy atop the water and she doesn't know something's underneath her. So that's a version of parallel action, even though we're in the same scene together, we're cutting from two different spheres. And then they get, as they're getting closer together, the cuts become more rapid as we're, as we're crossing between them. Mm-hmm. So that's a version that, that we're very familiar with, with, um, with horror, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, at UNLV Film, we we sort of are our grandfather, if you will, of our of the way that we teach uh, filmmaking and film writing and film directing. Was a guy named Alexander McKendrick. Um, he's most famous for his movie The Lady Killers, uh, which was like a, a comedy in Britain. He did a lot of those, and he came to America and did um, Sweet Smell of Success, which is the most famous American film with uh, Tony Curtis and Burt Lancaster. Um, but anyways, he after he retired from filmmaking, he became a teacher at Cal arts and he taught um our first professor in film production so uh, francisco menendez so basically mckendrick taught uh Francisco Menendez, and then Francisco taught all of us at UNLV Film and, and created the production cycle with us. So we borrow a lot from McKendrick's idea of what suspense is. So I, this might be too much, um, <laughs> too much stuff because you know we again this is the kind of thing we cover in classes for semesters, right? Um, right. But the difference between surprise and suspense. So. Um, so surprise in the McKendrick model, the Alexander McKendrick model, Sandy they would call him back Kellart, Sandy McKendrick. Um, So, so here's a thought experiment. So, um, Chris is walking down the hall and, um, she stands and she talks next to Sharon and they're talking about whatever, yada, 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 yada. And then the attic door opens up and a Captain Howdy pops out, right? We go surprise. (laughs) That's a surprise, right? Um, as opposed to something that we have a little bit more here where, um, we know that something's in the attic. Right. Right. Like no one, no one who watches this movie thinks that they're actually nothing in there. Well, even if we thought they were rats, right, that's something. Um, Right. But, but we, yeah, we're a little bit smarter that we don't, we don't think that they're rats, but even if, if someone didn't get that and we took it at face value that there's rats, we know something is up there making a noise. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not nothing. It's not in her head. She's not just got a bug up her butt about cleaning the attic or anything like that. Right. So we, we, as opposed to being surprised, we have anticipation, which is the McKendrick idea, anticipation mingled with uncertainty. That's how he defines uh, suspense. 
So we we have information that Chris doesn't have usually with suspense. Um, So yes, we might think that they're rats. We might think that there's a demon, a Pazuzu or or somebody, but we know something's up there. And Chris doesn't quite know that there's something up there. So we have dramatic irony going on in in our uh, suspense sequence, right? Interesting. Yeah. So we have... um, we have oh, can I can oh, I go ahead. jump yeah, yeah. in and like because that reminds me of uh, what we were talking about in uh, a previous minute or maybe it was the Halloween bonus episode where we mm-hmm. were talking about like how like the feeling we get when like Renfield is in Dracula's mm-hmm. castle and we know that Dracula is a vampire but Renfield doesn't so we have this kind of like like we're, we're looking in on it's like oh Renfield's in danger oh mm-hmm. no but like like he doesn't know it but we do right but like here it's almost like another little added element because we know that something is so chris doesn't know for sure that there's something in the attic we know that there's something in the Mm -hmm. attic but also like the added bit is we don't know what exactly yeah we don't know what it is um and in the McKendrick model of suspense, like Renfield or like Chris, there's there's really only two options that the movie is uh, giving us. Mm. Something's going to pop out or something's not going to pop out. Right. Right. So with Renfield, either Dracula's going to going to drink him mm-hmm. <laughs> or Dracula's like not going to drink soda. him. Like yeah. a cherry soda. Right. Those are the two options. So we're not thinking about other things going on. It's not, will will somebody come in and ring the doorbell? Um, will they decide to have marshmallows for dessert? Like none of that. Like we're so focused. We have two options, right? And we anticipate that one of them is going to happen. And so like we, we have basically we're creating in the audience's mind um, like the options and they're, they feel very smart. The dramatic irony I think helps there because it makes the audience feel smarter than the character, even if we like the character. But so it makes us a participant in this. So it's fun to watch as opposed to boring, right? If we, if say that we didn't say that it was just Chris walking through a, an attic, we have no anticipation that there's anything up there. It's not lit like a horror movie. It's not in a movie called The Exorcist. We haven't talked about this before. If it's just like, you know, in an opening scene of uh, Sleep is in Seattle, <laughs> Annie is in the attic with her mother trying on a wedding dress. We have no thought that anything's going to pop out, right? Yeah. So so there, we have been told basically to anticipate, to be primed for this. So the audience needs to be let in on information in the suspense model. As McKendra teaches it, yeah. I like that. And this is like, so like going back to what I was saying about how, like, you go to those theaters, you go to those movie theaters and you have, and, and it's a wonderful experience, right? But you do have like, you know, uh, the people in the theaters like, don't go in that door. Mm-hmm. Don't go down those steps. No, nah, he's coming for you. The killer mm-hmm. Mike Myers is right, right around the corner, right? Like he's right. behind you, right? All of that stuff going back to like pantomime, right? And, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in, in Great Britain, it's like, he's behind you, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> um, but it's funny here because it's like, I still think in this moment, like in a theater, and I and I haven't had the you know uh, the wonderful opportunity to watch The Exorcist in a theater, but I imagine even in this moment, nobody would be shouting, "Don't go up in the attic," because we also kind of want to see what's up in the attic because <laughs> exactly. we don't know, right? <laughs> if we know that Dracula's up in the attic or Mike Myers is up in the attic, I keep on—is it Mike Myers or Michael? Which one's the <laughs> comedian? Which one's the killer? That's Michael Myers is the is the killer and Mike the, Myers okay. So I keep saying Mike Myers. <laughs> Mike Myers is Austin Powers. Yes. Yes. Right. He just pops out. He's like, donkey. Right. <laughs> no. But if we if we know that Michael Myers is up there, then we're gonna be like, don't go up there, Chris. Michael Myers is up there. Mm-hmm. Right. But we know something is up there, but we don't know what. So 
I was like, yeah, Chris, maybe go up there because I don't want. I kind of want to see what's up there. <laughs> yeah, I know some audiences have fun uh, interacting with the screen and, and shouting and that kind of thing. But Chris is making, you know, not unrational choices here, right? She, as you say, she in the previous minute she has this look like, let's take care of this now. Maybe it's impacting my sleep, right? This is this is going to be a problem. And she goes and she tries to do relatively reasonable things. Um, you know, there. This is made. Uh, this is made textual in Jordan Peele's latest movie. Um, uh, nope. Right. Where we have characters who are, are in these horror type situations and literally say, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> I think they do. They think they might say nope at one point, literally. <laughs> they say nope in nope. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Um, but they definitely do. They are presented with like, let's go in the house. It's spooky. And then saying, oh, no, like, oh, hell no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, that's part of the fun of, of the horror movie, right? Is seeing them, even if you say that's so dumb that they would do that, you going, oh, well, you know. I, I want to see. <laughs> let's, yeah. Let's play this game. Ah, Keenan, that was truly. That was truly suspenseful. Oh. <laughs> I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. <laughs> okay. So Chris uses the hoogie pull down thing, which if you notice, folks, we never figured out the name of. Mm. Um, and she pulls down the ladder and that's when she stops and we get a shot of the attic doorway, just a rectangular hole in the ceiling and nothing but blackness beyond quick question um this shot isn't exactly a pov shot right this isn't like what chris sees it's a little off to the the side like at an angle right um i think it's 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 i would call it a point of view shot yeah because like i feel like if we were seeing what she was seeing we'd be like right underneath it looking up and it'd be just like a black square taking up like most of the screen oh i see what you're saying right but then it wouldn't have these nice diagonals (laughs) right which is which is great for horror films right that off kilter look to it ah okay so we're back to that like German expressionism. German expressionist thing, ideas, like right? And this Bruce Block, that visual theorist who's, who says, you know, the circle is friendly and the square is a little less friendly and triangles though, man. Triangles. You got to watch, watch out, out for those, those triangles. Yeah. They are spooky and scary. And it sounds so simplistic and silly, but that's the point of Bruce Block's work is he's trying to make it very simplistic for you to start noticing these things and start putting it into your, your drawings, your paintings, your films, et cetera. Yeah. But yeah, it works for a reason. If it was a straight up and down door looking thing, um, straight rectangles, it would not be as spooky as this triangular version. Interesting. Okay. Well, actually, so to speak to that, I kind of want to do like this little experiment. Like, Mm -hmm. I know I was just joking about like how, like, oh, I don't know how to construct a a suspenseful scene. And (laughs) like, after what you're saying, like, maybe, maybe, maybe I was right. Um, But I was sort of playing with like, what would I do? And I Mm -hmm. thought like, what if as she's looking up, we cut to a view from up in the attic. Maybe mm-hmm. uh, she's looking at us, maybe like a little angled, right? But it's it's clear that the camera is in that doorway and Chris is looking up, right? We're, we're looking down at her, like mm-hmm. maybe hinting that something else is looking down at her too, right? Yeah. And, and then from that, we cut to not this angle that we have in the film, um, but just a straight POV shot from Chris where the doorway takes up more of the screen and those like steps are coming out at us. Um, like they're like, and they're swallowed up in the darkness beyond that door, like railroad tracks going into a tunnel. Right. Which would be a triangle. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So, so because it's of the, still because the of one point perspective, right? Well, you know, you could make any, you could make sure you can make it a square, but the, but the shot that you're talking about as you're describing, it would be triangles and jagged. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, did I do it? Wait, I'm confused. Did I do a good job? <laughs> sure, that sounds really good. 
Okay, awesome. <laughs> I, I'm not going to say better or worse than what's here because we don't we haven't seen your version. But yeah, absolutely. If we're looking down at Chris, certainly she would be less powerful looking, um, which might be what you want to do. Uh, maybe not. Maybe that's a reason why they avoided it. Um, ah. Yeah, because that just is a diminishing shot to look down at somebody. Right, right. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay, well, in any case, so this doorway is menacing enough to give Chris pause. Uh, she checks the light switch and of course it does. Of course it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And I like that too. Like I wasn't even thinking about the light until she tried it. I was like, oh, now we have no light, but we like, we never had light. <laughs> right. Right. But then they tricked us into missing light. That's a very good point. And then, and then, um, you know, justifies getting that candle over there. So again, she's doing relatively reasonable things. Maybe not something that I would do, but not, not insane things. Right. Right. Um, now there's, before she gets that candle, there's another crash and we get a hard cut to Reagan, wide awake and wide eyed in bed. And she's looking directly at us. And I like this because it shows us that the tension has, permeated throughout the house. Like mm -hmm. you were talking about, it's not just in Chris's head. It's happening everywhere, right? right. Reagan is feeling it too. It's not just Chris at the foot of these uh, steps. Mm -hmm. And I also like, because we're going to see in later scenes, I'm, I'm thinking of one in particular where Reagan is staring intently at nothing. And we get the feeling that she is watching something unfold somewhere else. There's a scene later when someone has arrived downstairs and we cut to the demon in Reagan and its eyes are alert and they are fixed as if it feels the presence of this newcomer. And it's like, they're here, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah, so th this like shot of her like looking off into nothing sort of reminded me of that. Yeah, that's interesting. And we have half of her face covered, which is, yes. which is helpful. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, now, we cut back to Chris lighting a candle, this tiny little candle flame, um, which again, like makes me, it's like, oh, that's such a tiny little flame, Chris. How's that going to protect you? Mm. Right. Um, and then she ascends those steps. And now, now we actually have that uh, uh, POV as if the attic is looking at her mm -hmm. um, uh, as she sort of looks around. And now that candle flame is a little bigger. It's very close to us. Um, we continue up. Uh, the rest of those steps. And again, just this subtle little, this isn't an easy ascent, right? She doesn't right. glide gracefully up the steps with confidence, right? She has this, she has to set the candle down and then boost herself up, like maybe hinting that this isn't her domain anymore, right? She's awkward in this place. Right. She's probably never been up there. And oh. we have this, um, Look at the design of this. So we have right the the square, the rectangular opening to the attic, and the planks of the floor of the attic don't align with the natural flow of the house. They're ah. actually inter intercutting them, um, so they're they're bisecting that. So whoever you know, if you're thinking logically, who, whoever built this house, whoever built this house was building an attic. What without? Um, why didn't they follow the natural lie of the house? Um, right, right. You know, there's, there's reasons why that could happen, but it's certainly more work. But here it just looks so great, right? It, it's, she's going into this very different space, this very different world. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it is like a Tim Burton-ish, like, like you go through the door and then, oh, everything is slanted. Or let's stop talking about Tim Burton, I suppose, and, and talk about like <laughs> Lewis Carroll, which is where, where that's all coming from, right? Oh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like, like, oh, you pass through this path and when you open the door, the path is all, suddenly on the ceiling is how it looks. Yeah. And I really like that little, like the crouching and the putting down the candle and then the boosting up. She sort of like, she, she like dusts off her robe and that action makes it even more clear that once she straightens up, 
now she's in the attic, mm-hmm. right? Now she's in that other Lewis Carroll, like dark wonderland, mm-hmm. German expressionist world, right? Um, and it's a perfect signal of like, she is here. She was already in the attic, but it, it was like part of the house. The attic was part of the house. She right. left uh, uh, one part of the house and then she went into another part of the house. But the straightening up and the looking around, like now she may as well be on the moon, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. it's like a- Oh. Yeah, there's something there's something anti gravitational about it. Uh, again, the design of the floorboards, and then there's there's this weird um, because it's so dark and and we're, there's shapes in the attic, things that you would store in an attic, but we're not quite sure what they are. So in the background, there's chairs, maybe they're like baby bassinets or something, and then there's something hanging over her that's like wheels, maybe a stroller. Yeah, and yeah. we're not. It looks like it's in the background, but as she comes up, it's actually in the foreground. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So, so again, it, it's even playing like this weird, this weird sort of vertigo inducing, like where, where are things here? Right. Yeah. Think something is in the distance and depth, but it's actually closer to us than Chris is. Precisely. And like a tropey, like cliche way to kind of like uh, denote that she has passed from one place to like another place would be to have like the attic door close behind her. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but I like in this case, as she like straightens up, the door leaves the frame. So it's almost like it closed or it was never there. And now she's like, like firmly cemented in this strange place. Right. right? Um, and of course, we got to end this minute with the scare that's not actually a scare. Right. <laughs> Chris takes a few steps. There's a noise and we're like, ah! And then we realize, oh, she banged her foot on something, right? And she mutters, God damn it, which is probably what everyone in the audience is also muttering at this point, right? Because we hate being tricked, right? And like at that same time, we also love it, right? Yeah, because we we say we don't like being tricked. Right. But notice, folks, as our minute ends, right? Like just like Keenan was talking about, like the the weird shapes and the, the objects in this space that we can't really identify right Mm -hmm. we've been talking about what the camera is telling us look where it is at the end of this minute we're no longer with chris we're deeper in the attic we're hiding from chris but but who is we (laughs) who are we who are we (laughs) keenan yeah we'll talk about the camera being subjective um Mm. Sometimes we talk about the camera giving the point of view of the character. That gets confusing because, like, you were trying to identify like a point of view shot, right? Where the camera is the person's uh, face, basically, and, and they're looking out, right, or the, uh, their eyes, rather, where the, where the camera sees exactly what they see. That's a POV shot, a point of view shot. Um, but but typically we don't do that. That's relatively rare, and we do give people's perspective, which makes us which makes the shot subjective. We'll call it where the audience is um, the audience sees the main character or whatever we're filming as the subject of the shot. Uh, we we empathize with them as opposed to on the other end of the spectrum where it's objective right where where it is not from their point of view um, it's not from their perspective rather um, and they feel more like an object that's of someone else's view that someone else is watching them or where no one is watching them and this is a little bit more objective because we're distanced from chris we don't get her eyes and yeah we have all this other stuff as if we are hiding from her Mm, interesting identity Uh, crisis identity crisis who are we what are we where are we (laughs) what do we want Uh, from chris what do we want from chris and when do we want it in the next minute Uh. (laughs) all right um that's all my notes um anything else we we missed keenan no i think we got it all right folks once again this has been another excellent exorcist minute my name is lester ryan clark you can find me on all the socials as lester ryan clark and i've been keenan diaz you can find me on instagram as howdy keenan 
Oh, howdy, Keenan. And yes, folks, we now have a listener group on Facebook. Uh, it's called Compelling Conversations, an Exorcist Minute listener group. It's a private group, but just request to join and we'll let you in and then you can be in here with us. And you can talk about the movie, interact with us and fellow fans, post questions, polls, memes, all that sort of stuff. And of course, as always, if you'd like to leave us a message, our email is theexorcistminute at gmail.com, all one word, and we'll be sure to read it. Lastly, if you like the show and you want to help us out, the best thing you can do for a new podcast that's just starting out is to leave a little five-star review and that'll help other people find us and we can keep growing this cool community. All right. Okay, Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Folks, until next time, the, the power, power of Zarfs compels you. Mocha Frappuccino. Latte. Do you get yours with zarfs? I get mine. Mine comes with zarfs already. <laughs> um, I've never, I've never had to request a zarf. Oh, good. I don't know what I would do, Keenan. I don't know because I, until today, I didn't know about zarfs. I would, I would go up there and I would just, I would just crumble. And the barista would be like, like, hey, man, it's okay. It's okay. I was like, no, I'm trying to tell you what I want. I, I just don't know want, what I want things and I can't say. We're like, like, take it easy, man. Like, do you want a Zarf? And I was like, what is that? I don't know what that no. is. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>